Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Hey, Joey, we've got a lot of a lot of things we could cover in Cut for Time. This may be a long episode. We'll see. All right. Let's see what happens. Just warning everybody going into it. Um, yeah, we're still drinking our coffee and waking up. So. So who knows what could happen? Who knows what could happen? Yeah. All right, Joey. Um, so why don't you give us a rundown from your sermon on Sunday? Yeah, sure. So we were looking at Matthew 11, 25 through 30. And in there, 28, 29, 30 is these great verses where Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or all of you who labor and are burdened and I'll give you rest. And uh, so we spent the morning just looking at those verses in particular. What is this rest? How do we get it? Who is Jesus inviting? What does it mean to be, you know, to take up his yoke, to learn from him? Uh, and ultimately the the kind of main points or takeaway of the whole thing is Jesus is the only one who can actually give us the rest that we're longing for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is, does anyone not love these verses? I feel like they're exactly, some of the right? most staple, like when you're talking about living life with Christ, it's just one of those staple verses and very comforting in a way. Mm-hmm. But is it yeah. also maybe like really challenging? That's something that you talked about was like, there's before the comfort comes the challenge of like being willing to just like give up your life and say, not my way. Right. Right. That's- right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was part of what I tried to really bring out of it. Cause as comforting as the verses are to hear, they're intimidating for a pastor to preach. Uh, Cause everybody's like, ah, oh, don't, you know, you don't want to mess it up. Right. Um, but yeah, there, there is some, there's some weight to it in Jesus saying like the way that you find the rest, right? The overall principle is come to me and I will give you rest. So as we come to him, he gives us rest, but then he goes into it and say, and here's how that actually works. When you come to me, you take my yoke, you learn my way of living, you learn from me, you disciple yourself to me or apprentice yourself to me. And in the process of that, you will learn how to rest. You will learn how to live into my rest. Uh, and so there, there's, you know, we have to keep in mind like these two aspects I talked about of rest, like Jesus is promising us the future rest and rest is a theme that works its way throughout the whole Bible. Um, you find that idea all the way through and Jesus is placing himself like squarely in that tradition. Yeah. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't reference, but he's actually quoting Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16, uh, or at least alluding to it. Um, in that passage, Jeremiah six is all about how the people are going to walk away from God, Israel, the people of Israel are going to walk away from God. And he says to them, Hey, uh, after all this has happened, look for the ancient roads, ask for the old paths, walk in them, and you will find rest for your souls. And so, um, Jesus is putting himself right in that tradition of rest is what we're longing for, which we Mm -hmm. see forward when at the very end of the service, we looked at Hebrews four, just really briefly, uh, where Mm -hmm. the author spends like a whole chapter talking about rest and Sabbath rest and how Joshua took the people into the promised land. And even though they were in the land of rest, they still weren't at rest. There is still a rest that is waiting for the people of God. So therefore he says he or she, whoever wrote Hebrews says, let us strive to enter that rest. You know, let's work for it. Yeah. Uh, which is the same thing Jesus is saying, I will give you rest in the future, but if you want to experience it now, here's how we work together so you can experience my rest. 
Mm -hmm. And strive to enter the rest means that you do need to put in that effort and you need, and Jesus is saying like, yeah, you do need to learn the way that I live and then live the way that I live. Yeah. The big mistake we always make about sanctification, like that process of becoming more like Jesus is we either overemphasize God's role. We say it all depends on God and I can do nothing. Or we overemphasize our roles. Like it all depends on me and God doesn't do anything except maybe give me the grace to start it. Right. And the right balance is to say there's a responsible participation here where we in cooperation with the spirit and with God, the father and with Jesus grow to be more like Jesus. We talked about that a lot, actually, a couple of years ago in our series on the fruit of the spirit. I think Mm -hmm. we talked about that responsible participation principle. Yeah. Um, well, Joey, when you, um, when, when you were preaching, you preached from verses, like you said, 25 through 30. And last week, Jeff preached verses 11. Um, I think it started at 11 through 19. Um, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah, we big missed long chunk. verses. Is there a reason why we skipped, we skipped a couple 20 to 24? Woe to the unrepentant cities. That's yes. In my Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we skipped over them for a couple of reasons. One is because 25 through 30 is already a three-part sermon series that I tried to do in one sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is that 20 through 24 um, is really context for what comes in 25 and on. Like if 20 through 24 is the people who reject Jesus, like this is what the wise and learned look like. Um, 25 is kind of explaining this, right? After this judgment, Jesus says, this is why I thank the father that he doesn't reveal things to the quote unquote wise and understanding, but instead reveals them to little children. And actually what happens right next in chapter 12 is the Pharisees then show themselves to be the wise and understanding in not understanding what Jesus is doing. So um, really 20 through 24 is context. And I didn't do a great job of helping us roll around in that context. So we ended up just skipping it. Plus, if we had like preached it really in particular, I would not have been able to resist the urge to talk about counterfactuals of creaturely freedom or CCFs as they're known in the biz, mm. which is a philosophical idea that helps bridge the gap between freedom and foreknowledge in a really super technical way. That's very fascinating, but we would have spent an hour and cut for time trying to define counterfactuals of creaturely freedom and how all that plays out. So, wow. Um, yeah. I, you so we just skipped that like yep. 30 seconds ago. Okay. So speaking on these verses, you said like even 25 to 30 was three weeks worth of messages. So, I mean, you did really focus on like the second half of that section. Do you have any, um, anything to share from the first few verses that you didn't get to cover in the sermon? Mm-hmm. Some of it I just sort of uh, alluded to. It's like, okay, who, who are we supposed to understand the wise and the understanding to be or the little children? Um, w- why does Jesus refer to followers as little children? I mean, he's not trying to emphasize that he only takes short people or small people, right? So that's right. not that's not the thing that, that we're focused on. So wh- why does he use little children? Um, you know, another way of translating it is like, or to the childlike or to the innocent, uh, little children. And I, I kind of hinted at it a couple of times and saying, hey, they're totally dependent and totally trusting, right? Little children entirely expect you like to to give them what they need and to comfort them when they need it. They're they're totally dependent on you and totally trusting in you. And so yeah. uh, there's, there's more of that attitude to it. And then verse 27, verse 27 could be a sermon or more all by itself because 
the a lot of the uh, commentaries will say it's like all of a sudden verse 27 sounds like it came out of the book of John. Um, it's really uncharacteristic for Matthew's mm. style. All things handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son. And it's like, okay, how are we to understand that? How does all that work together? And I just quickly reference that, yeah, we can know the father because the son has chosen to reveal the father to us. Even the word chose is a loaded word. It's like, well, how are we supposed to understand the the son choosing and it's choosing to reveal also necessarily imply choosing not to reveal to some right. or so how do we understand um, some of those big like predestination and stuff like that said so, so we didn't have time didn't I just didn't go into it mm -hmm. that's all right okay thanks and those were actually some questions we had submitted so thank you to the person who submitted those that's great um so my question for you, Joey, is you you said in a sermon that Jesus is saying, learn to live the way that I live, right? Your life and your habits should look like and reflect my life. I'm wondering for you, are there any habits um, of Christ that you have adopted into your life that have made an impact? And what are those? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um learn, learn my life, learn my way of living isn't, shouldn't be taken literally to the point where it's like, okay, move to Israel, um, sell everything you have, walk everywhere you go and tell people I'm the Messiah. Mm -hmm. That would be a problem if you did that. Right. Yeah. Um, but there are ways of approaching life, um, in union and communion with the father and the spirit that Jesus models for us that we too uh, can learn from. Now, Jesus is unique in a way that we're not, um, you know, what would Jesus do? Introduce himself as the savior of the world. I shouldn't do that. But what I can do is see how Jesus made a priority of prayer, union and communion with the father, um, the priority of that relationship, um, and connection with the father through the spirit. So my own habits, you know, I've, I've tried different things at different times, whether it's scripture reading or prayer, we've talked about habits in the past of, uh, doing a daily office, sort of the daily work of prayer and going through a set kind of pattern of who, who you pray for and what scripture you read and things like that, that is very beneficial. Um, I think the, the best habit that I picked up in the last couple of years was, uh, simply, trying to pray and read scripture before attending to my phone or email or TV or anything else. Just, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's just scripture and prayer before phone and before anything else. And and that really um, went a long ways towards just defining the day as a day lived in relationship with, with God through Christ. So sure. I, I highly recommend that. Um, in a regroup last fall, uh, the group that I was part of was talking through a book called um, The Common Rule. It's just about uh, finding ways that your the culture you live in or the lifestyle you live in, find identify the ways that that particular way of living encourages you to take your eyes off of uh, your relationship with God through Christ and by the power of the Spirit and find ways to interrupt that and send yourself back. So they do things like praying three times a day, 
um, kneeling prayer three times a day, get on your knees because it forces you to think about what you're doing. Um, scripture before phone, make sure you eat one meal a day with other people to the best of mm-hmm. your ability, make, make meals, the, this, the gravitational center of your life. Um, take an hour off your phone. I think hour with, right? yep, hour with your phone turned off, try to have at least one good, no phone conversation with uh, a friend or someone you love on a weekly basis limit the amount of um, kind of stories you take in, the amount of media you take in. Like don't just watch five hours of Netflix every night, but give yourself a budget for it. Um, mm-hmm. Take it, take a 24 hour Sabbath, some things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously Jesus didn't have a habit of intentionally limiting his media intake. Right. Right. Um, but he had, what we see him model is a, a real focus on, uh, relationship, union and communion with God and the spirit. And we got to look at the things in our lives that draw us away from that and say, okay, some of these things are good, but they're not the best. So how do I emphasize what Jesus emphasized in my time and place and culture? Yeah. And I think that author talks about like building a trellis or like, this is just the setting up patterns for your lifestyle so that as you continue to grow, it grows in this way of becoming more like in a direction, right? Like you're growing in an intentional direction to become more like Christ and you're not just doing things just to do it and try it out or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, Okay. So Joey, anything that you had to cut for time from your sermon? Obviously, I guess we've already kind of talked about, you've had to cut a lot just because. Yeah. Yeah of the verses that you were to cover. Speaking of books, there was another verse that I, our book that I referenced um, that I would love to have like talked more about. It was the, the why we are restless book. Um, they, there's one paragraph in here that I didn't read that I would have loved to, because in, in their chapter where they're talking about Blaise Pascal and what he says about restlessness and because th- their argument is actually, we have made the problem of restlessness even worse in our day than it was at Jesus's time, because at least in Jesus's time, people understood that the cure for restlessness was an appeal to something transcendent. I talked about that a little bit. So in the Jewish mindset, it was live within Torah and the covenant relationship between God that Torah, uh, the the law shows us. In the Greek philosophical tradition, it was live the philosophical life, you know, in, um, in other areas of the the Greek mindset, it was live the heroic life, the life of battle, the life of a warrior. You know, and if you live this well, that's something that's, you know, live the life of a statesman or a hero or a warrior or a philosopher, and you're you are connected to something transcendent that will quell that restlessness. Well, since we have kind of post fifteen hundreds have said no, there isn't anything really out there that can quell the restlessness. You have to find the answer here. We've sort of redefined it all and made it way worse because. Not only do we have the same problem, we have also said that the one solution that's out there isn't really a solution at all anymore. Um, just isn't even a viable solution. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, so anyway, in their chapter on Pascal, uh, they talk about how Pascal is trying to understand why we're restless and why we seek diversion so much. Um, and he talks about hunting and gambling. He says, if you give the hunter his prey or the gambler uh, the stake he might win in his game, if you give him the prey or the reward, asking only that he forsake the activity of hunting the prey or winning the award, 
um, you'll make him unhappy because it's the hunt and not the kill. It's the game and not the, the winnings that he seeks. And yet, if you allow him to chase without actually capturing, or if you allow him to play the game without ever winning, then the charm of the thing is equally lost. <laughs> he says, in the, in the heat of these activities, we imagine that we what we really want is the rest following the capture or the wallet flush with winnings at the end of the game. But effective diversion, the stuff that really gets us, must include both the hunt and the kill for neither satisfies alone. And, and here's the line that I would have loved to have developed. Put the soul at rest and it longs for activity. Put the soul in motion and it longs for rest. Mm. Neither does it find contentment. So I can relate to that of like on a Sabbath day, feeling like restless. And is that something that you've experienced before, Joey? How do we deal with that? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, even on our sabbatical, when we had 13, 14 weeks of intentional rest, we filled the rest with activity. Um, and it was all life-giving activity. So it was it was good and it was the right thing to do. But in the last couple of weeks when we said, hey, let's just have a couple of weeks where we're in Amsterdam, we've got nothing planned. We very quickly got to the point where like, ah, this isn't enough because doing nothing is not the same thing as rest. Right. I think that's what's important to realize. I described the eternal rest as living in the kingdom of God praising and worshiping God as the the right purpose for which we are created, the right end towards which our lives are oriented. Um, but there's more than that. It's also doing meaningful work in a loving community untainted by the effects of sin. So their work is not a curse. Work is not a result of the curse. Work right. is the way that we take the creative drive that God has put in us um, because it's part of his image uh, as a creative God to um, take the things in our minds and make them real and concrete in the world, uh, whether that's serving someone or creating something or you know moving a pile of whatever from here to there, right? Um, work is not um, the antithesis of rest. Toil is the antithesis of rest, pointless work. Uh, or work to no good purpose, or work that comes out of a desire to be uh, appreciated or loved, work that tries to earn rest becomes toil, work that is that comes out of uh, an expression of our love for God, that comes out of our rest, that comes out of our confidence in who we are in Christ is life-giving work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it self-constitutes the rest that we long for. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Thanks, Joey. Anything else that you wanted, you were hoping to be able to include? Yeah, you know, the the, the one thing I don't think I did very well was like give us real good applicational hooks uh, to hang on in this particular one. So mm -hmm. there were a couple of things I, I even thought of afterwards. And one was to say like diagnose yourself to figure out what your like rest antidotes are. Like, I don't know if you've heard the joke of like somebody who's holding a Mountain Dew or a Bang Energy or some energy drink. And it's like, you know, who needs to go to bed when I've got liquid sleep in a can, right? Um, you don't need sleep if you can fuel your body with whatever chemicals are and all that stuff. Um, I think we, we do the same thing spiritually. We long for rest, but we don't find it in God. So we give ourselves like a rest alternative, like a, sure. a spiritual can of, of five-hour energy 
yeah. or something like that. So there, there are things that we go to, to help us feel at rest that ultimately don't satisfy. And so sure. um, one great way to sort of apply this invitation to rest from Jesus is to ask the people who know you well, um, who live with you or see you regularly or work with you to say like, Hey, when I like, what do I do when I'm irritable or what do I do when I, when you can tell, like I'm down, what do I do to like medicate myself or try to soothe myself or make myself feel good. And for some of us, it may be just getting away from everyone, um, you know, sort of like blowing it up and walking away. For those of us, it may be going and sleeping or it may be going shopping or it may be dreaming about the next vacation or whatever. It's like, there's some place we go <clears throat> when we're not getting what we want. And it's like, what, what is it? So interrogate your sort of habits to figure out what you're doing there. Yeah. And then the, and then the other, you know, the other is really <clears throat> this idea of the, the character of Jesus and how he describes himself, you know, as gentle and lowly. Um, we can see in the later letters, like in Paul's letters, I think, especially in first Corinthians, like that, that's just what Jesus was known for, for being humble and approachable. And it's also a, uh, you know, we learned from the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, like that's the character Jesus expects of his followers. Um, so the more we are taking up his yoke, learning from him, uh, the more people should kind of look at us and see just the natural way we live and say, you remind me a lot of Jesus. Now, you know, the way mm -hmm. you're living, you're gentle, approachable, humble, like you remind me a lot of Jesus. The way you know that you're learning from him and taking up his yoke is that not only are you becoming more and more like him, it's easy enough for me to convince myself that I'm becoming like him. It's a lot harder to take seriously what other people say when like my wife or my daughter or the people I work with or my close friends say, yeah, you actually, you remind me a lot of, of how I think Jesus would, would live. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading a book that, um, the author had mentioned like a lot of people want that fruitfulness of being able to like who doesn't want to be described as um being like christ um and we want that fruitfulness of being like having that lifestyle or that demeanor but intimacy has to come first so you can't have fruitfulness without intimacy you can't you need to first know jesus and know how he lived his life and start to actually do that hard work of patterning um, your life style after his. And then comes that fruit that um, hopefully is a benefit and blessing to your life and the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. Comes back to that participation. It like, comes back to participation. Yeah. And I was just thinking, it's like we, you know, the long process of growth in spiritual fruit is difficult for us to wrap our minds around in a like click list world where you can spend five minutes online, click a bunch of buttons and then drive past the store and they like throw the groceries through your window as you drive by. Like it's uh, very few of us are even directly um, familiar with the process of even just growing something, you know? Yeah. We're good at microwaving. We're not good at growing. Yeah. Definitely. Probably has something to say for our, or, or I'm sure it has some effect on our, the way we think about spiritual growth. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. 
If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.